Good morning, everyone. Chair of the Sea Alaska Corporation Board of Directors, Joe Nelson, joins us in the studio today. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Well, we're glad you can join us, Joe, because we saw over the weekend the results of the blood quantum requirement question that was put to shareholders. So that we're all on the same page, what spurred this change? Yeah, happy to happy to visit this morning. It was a, a, a great meeting and great to get together in person for an in-person meeting after a couple of years of virtual meetings. And this year, it was the 50th anniversary, the 50th birthday of the corporation. And uh, as we always do, you know, we, we look to our our guiding values, our cultural values. Uh, we and when we're doing that as a corporation, we're making decisions. We were marking. We wanted to mark the 50th birthday, um, not just with a, a cake and observing our gray hairs and looking backwards and celebrating that we're 50, but actually, you know, actually do something forward-looking and and uh, have some conversations that were much needed that were uh, definitely on the table um, since 2007. And that's about this descendant stock, the descendant, the D-class stock, which the shareholders approved in 2007. This was really just a continuation of that vote we had back then, which opened the doors to our descendants. <clears throat> and the, the D-stock back then had this requirement of the one-quarter blood uh, stuck. It stayed within that requirement. Uh, descendant stock and we know from just being engaged and being you know who we are as community folks that the the blood quantum really goes one direction and within a couple generations uh, the eligibility pool of folks will dwindle very quickly because as people marry out uh, have kids um, and the children and grandchildren. It's just a couple of generations that a lot of folks who are tied to this place and right here living in the community don't qualify to be owners, to be part of the company. And it was a just a continuing issue that we knew we would have to address the issue. Uh, and uh, we were responding to requests from shareholders uh, through our participation committees and our community gatherings. It was just a continuous issue that was just always on the kind of not totally on the back burner, but on, on right there on, on our plate to really wrestle with that issue. And we do acknowledge it's, you know, a very tough issue uh, in the sense that it's personal to everybody. Uh, but to make a decision as a collective um, was awesome. And to have the decision come out in the way that I, I think most all of our grandparents would agree that they wanted to hold the door open for not just a few grandkids, but for all their grandkids. That uh, that the outcome was was one that we're we're happy um, that we're able to move forward uh, and celebrate our fiftieth by looking forward, knowing that the the company is gonna uh, not have to wrestle with this issue again because we've kind of settled it now. And so. I understand you had a hand in forging the original 2007 descendant share change, right? So what was your reaction to seeing that work continue on? Yeah, I I, I did have the benefit of um, 
early on, that's how I found my way to see Alaska was as an attorney working for an outside firm. And this was one of the issues way back in the early 2000s that was hanging out there. And we, we hadn't addressed it yet. A couple other corporations did. And uh, I was fortunate to be kind of in the right place, the right time, a shareholder who uh, <clears throat> was was alive in 71. So I had the benefit of being a shareholder all my life. But I had sibling and cousins and nieces and nephews that were born right after me and they didn't have shares so I, I, I grew up very much um, being aware of the arbitrary nature of ANCSA and the way it, it, it uh, split families from the you know the company which owns the land uh, and was aware of the issue so I, but I, in regards to arbitrary on the blood quantum part right yeah, arbitrary on the date was where I was really focused on. But the blood quantum also is an arbitrary just marker out there. I see. And on that issue, you know, I, I admit it was, even, it was tough uh, for me even to really think about that and how to, how to wrestle with that issue. The blood quantum and these BIA cards that we pack around, you know, they're not something that are, that are uh, indigenous or tribal in nature. We didn't, you know, we, we, we didn't bring these it was the federal government as part of their extermination policy to say well within a few generations we'll cut the cord and they'll all be assimilated uh and but but i i personally i get it on the the challenge because you know three out of my four grandparents were uh, have always been here so on, on mine it's three quarters um and then my, my children i happen to have you know uh believe in you know our native communities and and healthy native families so you know my kids uh have both parents that contribute to the, the native bloodline so it wasn't eminent in my my family that this cutoff happening but in the bigger scheme it's a a, a colonial framework that we really uh it, it's empowering to move beyond it um and and in the moment though in 2007 we we went ahead and kept it there, um, knowing we'd address it either in the near term, mid term, or long term. The one quarter. Yeah, yeah, that the blood quantum would come back around. We knew it was going to come back around. And, and and you know, Joe, I'll share in that in my case, I'm a shareholder that met the one quarter blood quantum requirement for the descendant the descendant stock. And let's say I do have a child, and they are less than one quarter. Now with this change, would they be able to sign up for descendant stock? Yeah, that you know gives me chills a little bit, Kevin. That that that's exactly the power of the shareholder vote that just happened this this weekend. Is it, if we hadn't done that, and and yeah, you had a child uh, that then didn't meet the blood quantum requirement they would not qualify for the descendant stock as of last week. But this week, because of the change, uh, they, they would. Uh, and they don't qualify automatically as your child, per se. They would qualify for the descendant stock when they turn 18. So they would, that's a, there's also the age requirement, uh, which is another mitigating factor. So we don't have families signing up um, a bunch of folks automatically. It really is... Young adults, professionals, even folks up to you know age forties, um, almost fifty now, that are eligible to to sign up, 
Uh, and how can they sign up? And it's it's the mycalaska.com, uh, mycalaska.com. Uh, they have to register in the the portal there, and you can upload your documents. Uh, it, it's it is all online, and the core document there, though, because the requirement that is still there and will always be there, is the lineal descendancy. That the you have to show that connection to an original shareholder. Uh, so so yeah. so that that child that that uh, hypothetical child would need to prove their lineage to me then yeah okay yep. and you you I know we're, we're born after 71 yes so actually they would need to bring their certificate which birth certificate which would have you but then they would also probably need to bring your birth certificate to the, your parent that was the original shareholder so they need to show that chain of uh, connection there through the through the birth certificates to the original shareholder, and, and that's very much in place. And I know we received a lot of questions about that um, with folks wondering if just anybody can sign up now because the blood quantum requirement is gone. And the answer is no. You, you have to be tied through your birth certificates to an original shareholder. So, in this conversation, we've been speaking about this con- continuum of how to address that decolonialization of ANCSA. What do you see as the next step? We've got the descendant stock. We've got the blood quantum changed. What now? Well, I think we have a lot of things in place right right now, which uh, I would say one thing that's very powerful in my mind, that's a marker that shows that, that we're, we're, we are invested in us as a company uh, as a people, as a native people, it's the language fund. To me, that's so exciting. There's not really many, I would just say, for-profit companies that are investing in language revitalization. Uh, you know, that's more in the realm of education and nonprofits and uh, not on a lot of people's radar. But I think that language fund, to me, was so exciting to have a board unanimous behind creating this fund. Uh, and that funds, the way we have it set up, is intended to to spend 500000 a year on on Klingit, on Shmelik, on Khadkil, uh, revitalization, really targeting the advanced learners, helping them become master teachers because uh, the clock is ticking with all these languages. Our original speakers are, are, are passing and uh, time is not on our side. So we need to do more. Everybody needs to be waiting in there. So, so it's not really just ANGSA. It's the language and culture we need to work on. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, the the key in Inksa is the the N, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. And if you lose your language, if you lose your your, your culture and understanding of your connection to place, it really calls into the question. You know, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the corporation? Um, and the the company staying closely connected to our, this place and, and reaffirming our cultural values, uh, re- helping revitalize our the languages, it it, it actually does help our businesses uh, be stronger because there's a clarity of purpose uh, and a lot of folks that resonates with the world in, in many ways beyond just native people the rest of the world is waking up to the power of indigenous knowledge and place uh, and the need to 
to be more holistic and 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 long-term thinking uh, there's just a lot of common sense in indigenous thinking and that rings pretty interestingly today we saw the university want to start providing free well they're going to start providing free clinket classes and even over at the school district we see this interest in tcll being more than just k through five you know seeing a continuum from middle to high but they're going to need teachers that's exactly it. it is once the, the as this paradigm is shifting and the, the the doors are opening and the demand is actually building for and didn't for flinket speakers for the indigenous knowledge uh you need the indigenous people and the indigenous knowledge to come forward uh, so there's the, the demand is there and it's a good problem to have to try to need to meet the demand so i i i feel like that's partly why at sea alaska we held this funds internal to see alaska rather than just donating the dollars to another nonprofit or another um some of the other people doing the good work and organizations we we kept it because uh we know that there's a we need more people we need more hands uh, uh not less uh doing this and it's it's exciting to have this challenge we had the school in town here the more recent one as, as i know you've been witnessing the the Klingit uh, place names, you know, because all these other names that have been around, they got named on top of places that already had existing names. And people kind of get that after they pause for a moment to, oh, okay. So it may not be automatic when you think about this place, but it doesn't take long for things to start clicking and say, yeah, I get it. There have been people here for thousands of years. It does make sense that there are names here that are tied to this place. And when you're in a school building, uh, eight hours a day with you know all these people right here, uh, it makes a lot of sense to open your doors and just open your doors to that knowledge that's right there. So I, I think it's been awesome to witness the the, the names of our schools here um, receiving the, the Clinket names. And that was the first time they fully renamed a school. I mean, there was of course the Zanta Kahini, which was first given the name, but replacing a name, Kaktagulin. Powerful, powerful, uh, and the—I uh, don't think anybody missed any of the folks right here. Anyway, missed the the observation of actually the the river changing these last couple of years. So the dynamic of change in that change, because uh, the name refers to, refers to that place and the and the, and the river, uh, things change, and then changing can be powerful when that change means going back to a place that was the original place, an older name. Going back to Clearwater. Yes. <laughs> we'll be back with Joe after the break. Stay tuned. And we're back with Alaska Board Chair Joe Nelson. But in this part, I'm going to ask you, as the co-chair of the Alaska Federation of Natives, how's it been? Yeah, AFN. You know, it, it's I've been involved in AFN for a lot of years, but the last few years have been my first uh, stint as a co-chair. And it really has been uh, exciting to be involved at that level. 
Uh, and having the benefit of living in the capital city, you know, and a lot of the policymaking happens right here. And then obviously at the federal level is a big priority to be engaged there with our, our, our policymakers over there. Uh, AFN, you know, has a long history of advocacy, and it's just amazing the work they're able to get done with such a small team. The, the AFN staff is actually only a handful of people working real hard, and it's a big board and a big organization in the sense of the convention, and but it's really a tiny team. So that's been the amazing thing to witness is just the output of just a couple people who are so committed to, to uh, the mission. Uh, and the, there are so many different things going. You do have to prioritize your time. Um, and this last session... I know Julie, our president and CEO at AFN, spent a lot of time in Juneau, actually, in the Capitol building. And one of the key things that she helped uh, and she testified on plenty was that HB 123, getting the tribes, the states to just recognize the federal list of tribes. And and that passed the House and the Senate and is still awaiting for the governor's signature, which we're looking forward to happening here in the next few days, um, hopefully. So... It's been it's been good. Subsistence is always a key issue, and then going into this, you know, as you know, uh, election season is always um, a hot hot time to really you know engage. And the politicians always show up to you know to AFN conventions, so uh, no shortage of issues and a lot of good work happening. I'd say. Uh, even on the tribal recognition, that was originally going to be on the ballot, but then the legislature acted. So. Quite the development there. Um, I also wanted to ask you an update regarding Seacoast Trust. I remember from last year, Sea Alaska had provided about ten million towards the trust, and I wanted to see if you could update us on the happenings. Yeah, this is hugely exciting, and it really a key element in the Seacoast Trust, which is new. It's supposed to be new to everybody. Really, is. Uh, some old thinking, and, and that's the old thinking of, of investing in this place, uh, following the lead of the local indigenous leaders, and that this fund is intended to uh, to grow, and it has grown. Sea Alaska was the put out the first challenge of ten million, and we we've met the match now with other partners bringing in uh, seven from the Nature Conservancy, and then other dollars coming in from from other philanthropy and entities to where. The fund is now over $20 million and we're looking to continue to grow it. And the whole focus of it is our um, southeast, uh, largely our village economies, and making sure we're able to uh, really shore up and help uh, have stable, healthy economies that are focused on the triple bottom line and uh, being mindful of the place and, and really just long-term indigenous thinking and indigenous investment and uh helping the entities that are doing the work get away from the annual scramble of just barely making it grant to grant, grant to grant. So um, very excited about Seacoast's, uh, the fund. It's, we're going to continue to grow it, uh, and it's, it's the interest from that fund will fund the Sustainable Southeast Partnership it is really the main mechanism where, where it's uh, being deployed so folks can find um, more information at the, on the Seacoast Trust itself by going to seacoasttrust.org, I think it is, and then um, Sustainable Southeast Partnership has a website as well, so you can track a lot of the activity on the website there. But, yes, very exciting to bring in outside dollars to just use our uh, 
uh, a little bit of our seed money to leverage other things to continue to, to draw attention to the needs in our, our rural villages, really. And so one of the programs under Seacoast Trust is in the indigenous, is the indigenous Guardians Network. I also wanted to ask you about that and their work. Yeah, this is, I, I'm super excited about this one. And it's not new to us, you know, this idea uh, of the Indigenous Guardians. Uh, well, one, I guess, is that we, we all know that um, the local knowledge is really held by the local people, and the local people in our villages are the Native people who've been there a long time. Uh, the Indigenous Guardians, the thing that's new here is this network, so a budding network that's uh, a partnership with Clink um, and Haida and the Forest Service right now signed off on an agreement, and they've got a couple of folks that are helping uh, <coughs> create this network. And there are monthly meetings that have been happening by, by Zoom uh, for the last few months. They're gonna, they've been working to get out on the road and get into the villages, but the pandemic has been slowing the travel down. It's gonna start happening real quickly here, but uh, there's gonna be more of a, this getting out and doing a little tour of the villages to engage. And, and the bigger vision is um, that all of our tribes who we, we know are on the front lines of, of climate change and all of our social issues in, in our villages uh, will be stronger when they're networked and working together and finding other ways to just channel resources and good energy into the effort of uh, protecting our land and waters for the benefit of our grandkids. Uh, so it's, it's a, a project that I'm directly involved in helping with what, however I can. Uh, and I, I, my sense is there's a lot of interest, actually, to build out academic programs to just really, there's a lot of interest in the Indigenous Guardians right now. And British Columbia, Canada, our, our First Nations have been doing it for probably a decade longer than we have. And we're, we're, we're taking wisdom from them and actually bringing them up in a few weeks here, actually, to visit and, and so it, so it's it it sounds like values driven management then of of the land and area. No, no doubt about it. You know, the, the the each administration there's swings at the state level and the federal level from the pendulum swinging of how they manage and look at land and resources. And everybody knows that the state and feds here in Alaska, especially, really don't sing from the same song sheet very often and are often meeting in court more than they meet in person. Well, the one thing that's constant is us as an indigenous people, us as tribes, uh, us as just people who are, who are living off the land uh, and managing these resources ourselves really needs to be the paradigm that brings everybody together. And so you got this agreement, this, this, this agreement between the network and Clinkett and Haida and the Forest Service. What, what exactly is the agreement? Uh, the, the, it's a cost share agreement where they're funding a couple of positions right now to build a network, and it's really just kind of the seedling to, to agree to agree on building something to focus on the indigenous guardians. Uh, and uh, the only way that's going to go, though, uh, and grow is with more local practitioners, more tribes, more more. Uh, local native uh, leaders, really, and indigenous uh, folks coming to the table and helping define it to continue to build it out. Uh, and, and longer term, you know, we, we know that there's Forest Service uh, doesn't have, they've got a big budget and they've got, but it's not huge. They always need more. 
but but rather than importing um, folks, you know, from kind of all over everywhere else to come and put on their their ranger jackets and you know be rangers, there's an avenue here of of yeah, there's people here who can actually do this pretty well. So we're trying to. Uh, move forward in a way that ends up being a win-win for everybody. Just get more of our own native people on the land and water to take care of it. Uh, and, and it's this indigenous guardians framework, I think, that's really going to create a, a healthy meeting ground for for a lot of different interests uh, to come together and work together. Wow. Well, what's that saying? Look local first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, is there anything you'd like to add before I close out the program? Oh, just, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that you're in the CEUR, Kevin. You know, it's awesome to have um, uh, a young Native professional taking the airwaves here and, and being a host. So that makes a lot of sense here. It's just another example of local Indigenous hosts um, taking the airwaves over and happy to help. It is going into an election season, so I do encourage folks um, with all the different elections just to be engaged on your issues uh, and exercise your, your, your right to vote uh, because that's – that's where policies get made at every different level. And uh, we know the voter turnout is never quite where we wanted. We were always trying to just get people to vote um, in all of your capacities. Well, Joe, like we talked about today, the paradigm's shifting. No doubt about it. Thank you for joining us. Well, folks, that's the end of the program. Thank you for tuning in this June 30th. Tomorrow, we'll have all the information you could possibly need about the 4th of July celebrations. But for now, this is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off.